You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and uh, the classic car show with Richard, Richard Lintonello and Tom Cox. So I hope I got it right that time. But uh, anyway, if I didn't, I'll keep practicing. I got a whole nother week ahead of me. So welcome to the Classic Car Show. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to the guys in the know, Tom and Richard. It's all yours. Good morning. Thanks, David. Morning, everybody. Um, Hope everybody had a great, great week. It looks like it's going to be a frosty one up in the northeast today. Aren't you glad you're not living in Brooklyn anymore? Actually, you know, it's it, it's really enjoyable to have a, an annual blizzard. It's a lot of fun. So I do miss that. But we do have all the streets are covered in snow today in Knoxville, Tennessee. And everything's shut down because they got a half inch of snow. So big panic going on. <laughs> it's always panic. You get a half inch and it's panic for sure. The uh, So... This week uh, we were talking about uh, a discussion, and it, it can be a touchy subject for, for for those of us that know a ton of people with a lot of different tastes and vehicles. Um, so we're not going to step on anybody's toes because, you know, I don't know. I've never met a car I didn't like, but I, I do sort of have a favorite. And, you know, Richard, I'm sure you feel the same way. Oh, yeah, we all have our favorite, you know, car brands, you know. A lot of years ago, uh, baby boomers were influenced by their parents or their fathers. You know, I know my father was an Oldsmobile man, and, uh, you know, he didn't like Fords or Chryslers or anything like that. And uh, those days are kind of gone. No one has that allegiance anymore. But, uh, yeah, we, we all have our favorite brands. I know I have a, you know, my favorite American brand is Pontiac. And my favorite uh, foreign brand is Triumph. And I always thought that they were very similar in their thinking, uh, doing things different than the other manufacturers. So, uh, yeah, uh, what's your favorite brand? No, mine is, uh, you know, mine is everything. But uh, I have to say, I have a soft spot for independent manufacturers, the the little guy. I'm always... uh, a, a sucker for the underdog, um, and Hudson was like one of the biggest underdogs ever uh, to come into the automotive scene, building their first cars in 1909. Um, you know, they were well-received, and they just kept improving upon it and improving upon it. Um, you know, uh, they had the uh, first uh fully balanced crankshaft and a mass-produced car that came out in the Super 6 in 1916. Um, and that particular engine could turn all the way up to 3,500 RPM, which was like, you know, almost double wow. what the average production car could turn in terms of RPM at the time. And uh, that gave it the option. Op- opportunity to turn almost two times the horsepower per cubic inch of any other manufacturer at the time, mass-produced vehicle at the time. Um, so, I mean, they started out early with performance and engineering, um, and then uh, 
you know, in 1922, you know, prior to that time, you know, most of the low-priced cars were all open cars, tourings, and uh, roadsters, you know. If you had anything, you know, you had the side curtains that you put in in the wintertime. It, it, honestly, I love the look of a touring car, but I would hate to be driving a touring car in the wintertime, you know, having to put those windows side curtains on and the wind blowing in and the rain coming in it would be a mess but uh, 1922 Hudson introduced the first uh, low cost uh, fully closed car uh, with the Essex coach um, and it was a great seller for them um, and then by uh, 1925 Hudson was uh, third in the industry behind Ford and Chevrolet. You know, most people don't think of Hudson as having climbed that high of a ladder, but they made it to third in the industry and uh, stayed there for several years, uh, with 1929 being their best year. Um, you know, it's interesting to note that they were really, but, but they were really well known for their step-down design and that twin-age cooperation. That's what really put them on the map. Oh yeah, in terms of in terms of the racing world, era. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. post-war era, um, they had the first steel bodies, uh, all with a all steel roof. They were the uh, first to build their own production bodies in their own plant. Um, and here's a here's a kind of nifty little trivia thing: they were the first mass-produced car with the battery under the hood instead of under the floorboard. And, wow, uh, Hudson sounds like uh, Hudson sounds like Triumph. They were the Triumph was uh, the first production sports car with disc brakes. Triumph was the first Targa top, not Porsche, with the rollover built-in hoop. And Triumph was the first production car with four valve cylinder heads. So, you know, some of these independent and small manufacturers, they, they were really doing things their own way. They were on the on the cutting edge, um, you know. He, even you know, even it's interesting to note that even and it's it's sort of a favorite too. But again, like I said, they, they were all favorites. The uh, even Crosley's had uh, one of the first uh, sports cars to introduce a uh, disc brake too. You wouldn't. Yeah, think. they had uh, those Hearst Earhart aircraft uh, disc brakes back in 1939. But Chrysler had disc brakes, I think, the year before, but they had to withdraw them because, uh, you know, they were having some uh, mechanical issues. But actually, the first car to have disc brakes ever was Lancaster in England, way back before World War One. Uh, yeah, World War Two. So, uh, you know, things take time. They just don't happen overnight, you know? No, no. And, and you know, for all the grief sometimes that, British cars get. They were very innovative um, and very influential on everyone else. Um, yeah, you, know, you mentioned you know what the, was great. Uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, you, you talk about innovation. You know, uh, one of the reasons I like Pontiac, besides uh, their slant towards performance, but uh, Pontiacs had like, I don't know, thirty or forty different cylinder heads. And they always engineered their engines with different cylinder heads. For instance, if you ordered AC in a station wagon, you had a different cylinder head than a sedan with AC because in the station wagon you were pulling stuff. 
you know, versus a car that didn't have AC and a four-speed versus one that had an automatic. They all had different cylinder head designs to adjust the torque rating and the horsepower. So, you know, in that respect, I always thought Pontiac was, you know, very innovative, especially when they came out with their overhead cam six in the late 60s. I mean, how cool was that? I was going to mention mention that, um, you know, uh, of course, that was a John DeLorean project and, uh, and a really good one. I mean, that's, that overhead came six. Um, we actually own a, a 1968 uh, Pontiac Sprint uh, with the uh, overhead cam six with the four barrel and the uh, split, split manifold. Um, it's an awesome car. Um, it is, really, really it, is. Neat. it sounds great too. It sounds good, um, you know, and the the weight distribution because of the engine size versus the V eight is actually makes it a whole lot easier to drive too. I think anyway. Yeah, it it, it lightens up the steering wheel, and uh, yeah, I would love to have an overhead cam six Pontiac. I think that would be you know a treat. It really would. The uh, the original now you know you go back to you know pre nineteen fifty four. And uh, Pontiac was seen as somewhat um, stodgy. Um, see, 54 was the last year that they had an 8, I believe, uh, flathead 8-cylinder engine. But um, then they really started up in the game. And, you know, by the time, you know, they got into uh, the later 50s and uh, early 60s, I know... Uh, Fireball Roberts successfully campaigned Pontiacs uh, really, really well um, in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, they were really hot out on the NASCAR tracks. Yeah, they had some really great V8s, 428s, 421s, you know, those Super Duties with the Swiss cheese chassis that were drilled for, for lightness. I mean, they just did lots of crazy stuff, Pontiacs, so you got to admire them for that. No, they they were definitely cutting edge. It was back at a time when the divisions competed against one another and had some degree of autonomy in terms of their engineering departments and so forth. They weren't all badge engineered like they are today. Um, you know, a Pontiac was a Pontiac. An Oldsmobile was an Oldsmobile. A Chevrolet was a Chevrolet. You know, sometimes they shared some components, but by and large, you know, the engineering teams were separate. Yeah, I mean, they, they shared body shells, they shared glass, uh, you know, door locks, chassis and suspension components, things like that. But like you said, you know, they engineer their own engines, they tweak their own uh, chassis with different bushings and uh, durometer ratings on the bushings to give a softer or harder ride. You know, so, so they did tweak things their own way, but uh, yeah, it's a shame. All that individuality today is gone, just not there anymore. That's why we got to stick with old cars and restore them. Well, it's exactly right to preserve our individuality. Um, you know, there's nothing, nothing better than you know being your own person, and that's certainly something you can find in the antique car hobby. I mean, uh, I, I mean, at the risk of sounding a little bit corny, uh, you know, every time I get in one of those cars uh, that I have. It's like being in a time machine, you know. It sort of transports you back to a different time period, or at least in your mind it does. And, uh, you know, there's there's a different amount of excitement associated with each one. It, and it's 
I'm a unique individual. <laughs> Anybody that knows me will tell you that. But, you know, I really love, you know, it's kind of like putting on, on a different suit, really, in a lot of ways, but a whole lot more fun. Um, yeah, you know, driving them old cars, you feel connected to the machine. You feel connected to the road. And you mentioned earlier touring cars. I mean, those are perfect examples of driving around and, you know, you can smell the roses as you drive because you're not going fast. You're not speeding along. You're just chugging along and watching the scenery and enjoying life. And uh, that's what the old car experience is all about. One of the... Uh... Whoops. Did we just lose somebody? I'm here. Richard is here. Richard is there. I think we lost Tom. Well, he'll come back in, and uh, we're going to take a break right now, Richard, and uh, be back with uh, you solo or with a duet, depending on... uh, Okay. I I think he hit the wrong button. But anyway, we'll be back right after this. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. And we want to remind everybody that this show, the Classic Car Show, is brought to you by J.C. Taylor Insurance. And, uh, you know, J.C. Taylor has been around for years and years. And they also, when you talk to them, they have agreed value, which in the event that something does happen to your classic car. And by the way, they do uh, street cars as well. So if you, uh, you know, you have a muscle car, something like that, that you uh, want to insure, get a quote from J.C. Taylor. They will treat you right. And more importantly, when you need them, they're always there for you. So remember to support the folks that support us, J.C. Taylor. And if you're interested in advertising in the classic car show drop gm that's gm like the car company uh at americaswebradio.com and we'll be glad to talk to you about uh what we do here on america's web radio and uh we want to support those that support us and we also want to point out that we've got some um, manufacturers across the country that uh We'll be talking to you about regarding uh, their views on the woke movement. So, with that being said, did uh, Tom come back in? 10-4. Okay. Well, we lost you there for a second. <laughs> but anyway, we were, we were afraid that you were out taking a joy ride in one of your cars or something. Anyway. Oh, uh, he was probably sho- shoveling snow. So. Uh, uh, I've done I that will a few tell times. you one thing. I've been dealing with J.C. Taylor for over 30 years, and they've done an exceptional job for me. There's no one any nicer. The rates are very, very, very attractive, and uh, they've always done a wonderful job for me. Just a little additional plug there for our sponsor. Well, I appreciate it. I and, have J.C. Uh, Taylor, too. And uh, I think not only uh, do I appreciate it, but... 
our friend Bob Wallace. By the way, I think this is shout out time. What do you what do you guys think? Oh, it can be shout out time for sure. <laughs> you know, there's um, there's a rumor around that uh, a guy named Ritter has finally learned how to read and uh, he's got a million books in the uh, AACA library and you know he started on book one so we're, we're supporting you Tex you go after him uh, he's doing real well with those correspondence courses from all accounts <laughs> so you know we're looking forward to big things from Chris well, <laughs> I would hope so His, and, uh, and, and, his, and his mentor, uh, Stephen L. Moskowitz, as well, <laughs> uh, up there at the AACA National Headquarters in Hershey. You know, the one thing uh, about uh, Steve, you don't have to worry about him listening because this is too early. He's not out of bed yet. That's exactly right. I'm sure they're not listening. They're going to have to catch it on the podcast. The uh, So we were talking about, uh, you know, performance Pontiacs and, you know, the differences in, in engineering and so forth. And uh, we, you know, I touched on it briefly last week um, when, I, when I was deathly ill. And uh, was, you know, Hudson and Hudson in the post-war years, where in 1948 they came out and debuted um, really a revolutionary design, the Hudson monobuilt body, um, which... Uh, you know, it wasn't the first um, body without out of frame um, unitized construction, but it was certainly one of the most unique, and it was one of the most well built. I mean, not only did you have girders that went around the entire perimeter of the car, they reached up into the uh, up above the doors, and very very sturdy. Uh, they're built like tanks. Uh, you get into an accident in one of those. It really, uh, really protected the passenger. But more than that, uh, just the overall design, and it was uh, designed by a guy by the name of Frank Spring, um, who was actually an aeronautical engineer uh, back during World War One. Um, so that was a pretty specialized uh, field to be in all the way back um, in the... Uh, 19 teens um, but uh, he actually went to work for Murphy Body uh, Company uh, custom builder um, at the time our coach builder as Watt would know they built uh, custom planes and automobiles um, and he designed the step down along with a fellow by, engineer there by the name of Art Kibbiger and uh, they came out with this great car Low center of gravity, a lot of welded panels, the rigidity of it, no squeaks, no rattles, but it lowered the center of gravity, and uh, then they kept engineering their engines, and then they came out with big uh, 308-6 and uh, added twin H to it, which pumped it up another 10 horsepower, but then the factory had a special... Um, engine package that was offered as a consequence of, uh, at the time, uh, NASCAR great uh, Marshall Teague just showed up in Detroit and said, you know, I want to want to run Hudson's, and this is how I think we can win, and Hudson got behind them, and they 
they uh, engineered the uh, Hudson 7X engine, um, which was available by by special orders. But uh, yeah, the Hudsons tore up tore up the tracks in the uh, in the early 50s. So they they were they dominated so badly. I mean, you know, it was it, at times at the AAA races, you know, only Oldsmobile occasionally won a race, and uh, but you know, Hudson just beat the socks off all comers. It was it was really kind of amazing. Um, and then, of course, Hudson's people didn't, you know, you didn't hear about them so much. But then when the first Cars movie came out and uh, you had that uh, Doc Hudson, car, animated Doc Hudson car uh, voiceover done by Paul Newman, um, that was all she wrote. I'm really looking forward to all the kids that watch that movie they're going to love Hudson's when they get old enough to drive, that's for sure. And so I, I think it's going to be a big boon to the, the Hudson uh, craze for those step-down cars. I didn't even know they were still around. What's that, the Hudson? Yeah. Oh, no. No. <laughs> They're gone like the dinosaurs. They're history. Yeah. I remember yeah. Uh, my grandfather had a Hudson, and to me it looked like, and I was very young, but it looked to me like a tank on rubber. It yeah, was, back then some of the cars were built like tanks, and they even looked like tanks, but uh, they had nice style to them. You know, they really did, especially the ones in the 50s. I kind of liked them. Hmm. They are. Uh, well, Hudson, you know, you still, I know, I'll get out of the Hudson vein here in a minute. You have to smack me around a little bit because it's kind of hard to get me away from Hudson. But, you know, they uh, they decided they were going to enter the compact car field. And they came out with the Hudson Jet, which was a little bit stodgy and kind of tall. It just looked kind of ungainly. And uh, part of the reason for that, it wasn't Frank Spring. Frank Spring designed the new Hudson Jet to really look a whole lot like the uh, step-down. Uh, and when A.E. Barrett, who was the president of Hudson, who was probably pretty stodgy himself, went to get into the first prototype of the uh, new Hudson jet, it knocked his hat off. <laughs> and so he was disturbed by the fact that, you know, they could offer a car in which the driver could not get in with his, his hat on. So he instructed... Uh, Frank Spring to uh, raise the greenhouse on that car. And in my opinion, that's what ruined it. And if you want to see what that car could have looked like, Hudson built one prototype uh, convertible in the jet. And uh, it, was, it was rumored to be around for years and years and years, finally found and uh, restored by a guy by the name of Ray Sowers. And... Uh, if you look at the Hudson Jet convertible, it's a daggone good-looking car. So now, what? not there? I'll, I'll, I'll rest my Hudson lore for well, today. Well, wait a second before <laughs> you leave on that. Wasn't there the Hudson Hornet? Yes, uh, yeah, it, that was the performance was, version. Yeah, yeah, twin yeah, um, age aberration, and they won lots of NASCAR races or stock car races back in the day, and. Uh, Hey, Tom, you forgot the most important tidbit of information about Hudson's. Where did they get their name from? Oh, from J.O. Hudson uh, Department Stores. Department Stores. Yeah. A car named after the department store. Imagine driving around in a Macy's. (laughs) 
<laughs> or a Target. How about a yeah, Target? Yeah, how about a Diller GT? <laughs> Diller GT. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're already you're already adjusting to Southern life down there in Tennessee. I, I don't think there are any Dillards up there in Brooklyn, you know? No, no, definitely not. We don't even have barbecue, but... Uh... Yeah, uh, named after Hudson, named after the department store. That's so cool. Yeah, the uh, he was the uh, father-in-law of I think it was the tr- tr- the first treasurer for Hudson Motor Car Company, if I remember correctly, uh, a guy by the name of Jackson. But you are absolutely right. Um, so <laughs> shifting gears a little bit, you know, when we're talking about how much we enjoy. Uh, enjoy the cars and how how much fun it is to get out there and you know sort of stretch your individuality. But the other thing that for me and and I know for you um, that goes hand in hand with cars, you know, at least from the early days, you know, uh, and I know somebody's going to correct me on this. But I'm thinking that the first um, first regularly available automobile radio was around 1925, uh, uh, Galvin uh, Manufacturing Company. But anyway, I'm sure somebody will pinpoint that for me, but I'd say it's in, in and around that time. So, you know, music and the radio and automobiles and songs were always a big deal. Um, and then I think, you know, as, as time went on, um, cars became an ingrained part of the culture. And then we had a whole bunch of car songs, too, that they came along. And then there's music that affects your driving, too. Um, cars, the, the songs that make you want to drive fast, you know. You're by yourself. You're out on a straightaway out in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, what, what floats your boat, Richard? What really makes you mash the pedal? Well, you know, about 10 years ago, I forgot what institution did a study on music and driving, and they found that rock and roll made people drive faster and get more speeding tickets. Uh, I don't know how true it was, but, you know, it, it's definitely true for me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was never a fan of, you know, commercial type of bands and music. And my favorite band of all time is Status Quo. Uh, from England, and in their Pile Driver album, which came out about 72, 73, they have a song called Don't Waste My Time. And every time I play that in the car, you know, before you know it, I'm looking down, I'm doing 90 and 100. It's like, it's just got this great boogie beat. And, uh, you know, there's just some of those songs out there. We all have our own preference that, uh, that just strike a chord and they just make a right foot hit that accelerator and you know before you know it you're out there and uh there's so many songs out there i mean uh panic song by green day is another one that i just love but then i put on you know uh louis prima angelina and uh you know uh perez doing mambo five it's just great music you know and it makes you drive fast it really does yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I can see that. I can see you being a Louis Prima guy, you know, singing along, you know, uh, trying to invoke your best operatic voice and blasting down the highway. But what what I want to know is how you get those uh, triumphs up to 100 miles an hour. Oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, 
Yes, it's definitely <laughs> not in triumph. Cruising down the highway in my Mini Cooper, you know, uh, and back when I had my big Buick, you know, Electra, you know, you have the stereo blasting, and uh, yeah, music just does that to you. You know, there's certain beats and rhythms that just inspires you, and you don't even realize it. Before you know it, man, you're cruising along. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of, you know, interesting music out there that, that really gets you going. But uh, so, so what song gets you going, Tom, and, I, you know, you know why don't we, the speed limit? Why don't we let everybody think about that as we take one more break, and uh, uh, we have another break coming up in uh, about 15 minutes or so. But uh, right now we'll, we'll take a quick break and uh, be back with Tom and Richard right after this. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we want to remind everybody that the show is brought to you by J.C. Taylor Insurance, and we have two J.C. Taylor Insurance people on the air, Tom and Richard. So back to you guys. Oh, wait a second. Okay, so you're talking about music. So, so Tom, tell, tell us what's your favorite you know, car song that that makes you exceed the speed limit. I've got a, I've got a bunch of them because you know, as as I know, it's you know, it's heresy to say this, but you know, if I had to choose between two, and, and, and most people probably don't realize this about me, but uh, that know me, but you know, if I had to choose between cars and music, I mean, God, I mean, it would be like the worst decision to. For me to make in my life, but uh, I, I totally end up agree. Choosing, yep. End up with music. I'd I'd, I'd, yep. I'd have to go with music um, over cars. Um, so I, I love my music, and I, I can't wait. As soon as I get off of here, I am going to go to status quo. Don't waste my time. I've already written it down. This <laughs> be the first thing. As soon as we go off the air, I'm going to be right on top of it. I got to I got to know what it is. Um, you know, and you're going to love digress, it. Yeah, before I digress too far, you know, a lot of people don't know that, uh, you know, you were a drummer, you know, when you were younger. Yeah. You, you played Trey's Yeah, drums. back in the early 80s. Yeah, back in the early 80s. had a new wave band. We played uh, CBGB's in Manhattan, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But yeah. like you said, if I had to choose two, I would choose music over cause any day. It's just, you know, music just gets into your soul. It really does. Makes you feel good. Yeah. CBGB's. Uh, the home of the Ramones, man. That how cool is that? Yep, I, I saw the Ramones when their first album first came out. I was sitting ten feet in front of them, and the lights went out. And before you know it, it was one, two, three, four, and the whole place exploded. And I've never been the same since. Yeah. Hey ho, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's your favorite car song? 
So, favorite car song. Um, you know, I think the one that would make me drive the fastest is probably Radar Love by Golden Earring from back Golden in 1973. Earring, yep. That's, that was a, like everybody's favorite car song. Yep. Yeah. That's a great it's song. It's a long song, and you kind of feel like it's just you, the car, the open road, um, and, right. and the music just builds throughout the whole thing, you know? And, I mean, you can just be flying before you know it. Um, also, another one that I really dig is uh, ZZ Top LaGrange, uh, also from 1973. So it was, you know, a lot of great music from 1973, um, which I always liked older music anyway. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I can't can't go without talking about some of the uh, some of the earlier stuff. Um, oh, you know, the Beach, Beach Boys. Oh, Chuck Berry, Maybelline. You know, Maybelline. Uh, that's great. Ah, oh, he was <laughs> the best. Love Chuck. He was the best, and then uh, and then came the Beach Boys, and the Beach Boys with you know their uh, songs about uh, you know shutdown, uh, about a drag race between a, a Stingray and a Superstock Dodge, um, you know that would just kind of get you get you running, and then uh, you and let's had, not forget uh, let's not forget Highway Star from Deep Purple. I mean, oh, there's a song yeah. that really gets you going. <laughs> a great song too um, and then another one sort of uh, a little less and I loved this song before I ever watched um, the movie American Graffiti but uh, you know when uh, Milner and Falafa are racing uh, at, towards the end of uh, American Graffiti the background song is an instrumental uh, Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs that's another yep, one that'll yep. kind of get me going. It's just too short, you know. It's not like uh, Radar Love, which kind of stretches it out. Another one for me, uh, Riders on the Storm by The Doors. Ah, just kind of really? Yeah, I kind of dig that song. I can kind of get into it, and, uh, you know, it it's just kind of makes slow. me focused. It is. It is. But it just kind of gets me into that groove where it's just me, the car, the road, and nothing else, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of cool. The, uh, but yeah, I mean, there were all the all those car songs. Uh, little uh, uh, Ronnie and the Daytonas, little GTO, nineteen sixty four. You had um, Shut Down by the Beach Boys, nineteen sixty three. And uh, Little Deuce Coop. And then, uh, were you talking about CBGB's, uh, the Ramones, with uh, Go Little Tomorrow Go, which was kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a great song. Y'all have missed Bop. one. There's a song, there was a, a band in the late 90s called Jet, and they had a song, Be My Girl. What about you listen 409? To that song, and there's no way you're going to drive under the speed limit. No way. Richard, what no, about 409? Hey, that's one of mine, too, actually. I, I've, I've got that album. That that is a great is that song. Great? Just I've got a great driving like kind of a gritty, gritty driving beat to it. You know, yeah, what? great bass line. You all, you all have yeah, missed it's, one it's though. Four, a great rock and roll song. What about four oh nine? Oh yeah, yeah four oh nine. Cool song, sure. By the Beach Boys, great song. The uh, in fact, uh, a friend of mine who was a. Uh, uh, Chevy 409 collector 
uh, when he passed away, um, that was the song that was played when he was being carried to the hearse. And honestly, it was really, really cool because all of his friends were up there. They picked him up to shoulder height, and they were playing She's Real Fine, My 409, as as he went out the door of the church and in, into, the, uh, into the hearse. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah. Not that we want to be, you know, talking about death and all that, but uh, it was a lot, awful lot of fun. Um, music and cars, just in a row, they kind of go together, still go together. Like when I'm out working in the garage, I mean, I can't work in the garage if music's not on. You know, uh, got to have music on all the time, you know? Uh, yeah. And, 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 and there's certain songs and there's certain albums you play depending on the time of day. I know if I'm driving at night, I'm putting on Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd or, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, Scary Monsters by uh, Deep Purple. What if it's like, you know, late afternoon and the sun's about to go down, I'll put Sinatra on or, or uh, uh, you know, music along that era. Uh, also, Bobby Darin. Swing bands like uh, Duke Ellington and, and uh, you know, guys like that. Uh, Woody Herman. I like all that that swing stuff so it depends on the, what time of day that uh, you know certain types of music that you want to listen to as you're cruising along okay gone I, I never knew that about you um, that your musical tastes were, were, were that diverse you know I mean coming from Brooklyn up there and everything playing stickball in the street and stuff and now you've got all this musical diversity I'm just blown away um, well hey you know, you, know I, you guys down in Virginia you were sitting on your tractors and trying to clear the thickets or whatever they call them. <laughs> I mean, in, in Manhattan, we had all the great clubs. They rock clubs, swing clubs, jazz clubs, you know, cotton club up in Holland. We had punk clubs. We had everything. So we were, you know, we were exposed to a lot of great music while you're just listening to banjos on the back porch. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> on the back porch. We didn't have a stoop like you did up there. Up, up. Up north, yeah. I, I do remember, you're right, I remember the first time that I came to uh, the, the, the Big Apple up there and uh, was down there uh, right in Madison Square and just, you know, hit with the awe of it all and everything. But we were in college, you know, uh, freshmen, and uh, I remember going downtown and, you know, the, the wonder, the fact that the bars and the bands played until 4 o'clock in the morning. And uh, it was so cool because, you know, and I know I'm digressing out of the automotive genre, but, you know, you, it was just not to be believed for me because, you know, everything rolled up, the streets rolled up at, you know, midnight, you know, down here. And out there, man, they kept going till dawn. It was so much fun. And uh, I remember the one particular time all of us as a group, you know, we missed the subway. We were walking back to the hotel and uh, we were singing. And we'd had a few alcoholic beverages. I know it's a shock, but we were singing, walking down the down the sidewalks, and uh, the guys were pick, refuse guys were picking up the garbage, and they stopped picking up the garbage, and they started singing with us. And so we're hanging out on the corner, singing, singing with the uh, garbage collectors. And it was great. So yeah, yeah, you did get exposed to a lot of good stuff. You and I had to take a road trip because we like the same music, but uh, so. Switching well, gears. Yes. Well, yeah. 
No, I was going to say that if, if you like Manhattan, there's nothing like driving a British sports car through the streets of Manhattan, dodging taxis and and garbage trucks <laughs> and cement trucks. Because <laughs> no one's going to give you an inch. In Manhattan, no one gives you an inch. And there you are. I'm there in my little Spitfire dodging traffic, you know, on the West Side Highway. And it's like, I don't know how I didn't get killed. But, uh, yeah, crazy times driving in Manhattan. Yeah, I, just riding in Manhattan. I'm surprised I didn't get killed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was really thrilled, though, because, you know, that first time when we went out there, there was still a few checkers around few of the old yellow checker cabs, and I actually got to ride in one of those. Uh, so, oh, yeah, yeah I've been in many a checker cab. Yeah, so much room in the back. Oh, yeah, it was squeaking, it was knocking, it was making all kinds of racket, and that guy was driving that thing like he was Mario Andretti. It was amazing. Um, so talking about some of the, you know, something a little more current, um, you know, there are a lot of ways to buy a car, and I know that we'll talk about that on a future future show, um, you know, where to, where can you go to buy a car, what are the best places to look, and because there are different places to look for a car, depending upon what kind of car you want, you know, you, you want a, a brass era car, you know, you, you might do well to be a member of the Horseless Carriage Club. Um, you want to buy a Model T, you know, join the Model T Ford Club of America, um, you know, and so on and so forth. But, you know, I, I just happened to be watching uh, lately and I, some a couple of the auctions. I'm not a huge follower of, of auctions. You know, a lot of, a lot of people get in there, they, they're bidding, they get ju- juiced up because, you know, they got a lot of open bars in these places too. But, um, you know, I, I couldn't help but help believe that a 1986 Jeep Grand Wagoneer sold the other week for $145,000. I was just totally, totally blown away. I've owned probably four Jeep Grand Wagoneers. And, uh, you know, I know that there's a, a company, Wagon Master, down in, uh, down in Texas that will rebuild those things from stem to stern for you. Um, it's almost like sending it back to the manufacturer and getting it out and probably better. But, you know, that 360 engine, given the weight of that vehicle, 150 horsepower, it was eking out uh, back in the late 80s. Um, just a, a fair, relatively underpowered, uh, the uh, gas mileage was just awful. Um, I still have an 89. And the best I've ever been able to coax out of that thing on a, a highway out in Indiana uh, is about 14 miles to the gallon, and that's holding it straight at 55. Otherwise, man, you just you can almost watch the gas gauge go down. Just amazing. Um, the build quality, and I know we'll get a lot of grief over this, but the build quality, anybody that's really spent time with those Jeep Grand Wagoneers, um, not all that good, but you, but you got to hand it to AMC. They took a body style that you know debuted 1963 with the uh, Grand Way with the uh, Jeep Wagoneer, and they just kept in reinventing themselves. They didn't have a whole lot of money to tool up 
um, and come out with something new every year. So they came up with a lot of different ways to dress up what they already had. And uh, they were the first to really go into the uh, luxury SUV market, you know, adding leather and uh, special packages and, and so forth to those things. So, you know, I mean, I can see why they have a following. But $145,000. Hundred grand. I mean that that's proof that someone has uh, you know more money than brains. I mean, come on. I mean that's like totally insane. I just don't get it. I mean, was it totally restored to the Pebble Beach standards? I mean, what's the deal with it? It appeared to be really, really, really well restored. But I mean, you know, you stop and think about it. You know, it's still the same vehicle, you know. I, I The one thing I remember most about my Grand Wagoneers is, you know, there, there didn't seem to be a limit switch on any of the windows, you know. When you hit the button, you know, the window wouldn't necessarily stop when it hit, you know. You just knew that it stopped when it, when it closed and you released the button, <laughs> you know, but it had these little um, nylon strips with uh, teeth on them. And more often than not, after about six months, you know, you go to put your window up, and it would snap, and the tag on window would just fall right into the door. I, I drove around with a pair of needle-nose pliers in the glove compartment that had uh, duct tape on both of the jaws so that I could reach down in here and grab the window without breaking the glass, <laughs> pull it up, and then take duct tape and, and hold it in place. Okay, but, with uh, yeah, I couldn't believe. With that picture in mind, we've yeah, got to take out. I mean, I just said a hundred grand. It was a hundred and forty, right? Gentlemen, we yeah, have to and, and we and have to take our seventy-eight or seventy-nine Trans Am or Firebird that sold for a hundred grand. I mean, they made like you know sixty, seventy thousand of those cars. I mean, they're all over the place. There's nothing limited about them. Gentlemen, uh, we have wow. we gentlemen, we have to <laughs> take our last today. last really break, okay? So I'm going to cut you off, and we'll take a break, and we'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And two little pieces of business I want to take care of. One is that uh, this show is brought to you by J. J.C. Taylor Insurance, and we have two J.C. Taylor Insurance clients on the air, Tom and Richard. And uh, J.C. Taylor, if you're looking for insurance for your classic car or for your muscle car, whatever it happens to be, J.C. Taylor has a plan, and it's it's very, very competitive, and it's something that you should look into and look into it soon. Uh, and J.C. Taylor has been with us since uh, the outset of this program, and we appreciate them. We also appreciate our patrons that have come on board, and uh, they may not advertise, but they're patrons, and they like what we do. They like this show. They like a lot of our shows, and we want to say a special thank you to all of our patrons. With that being said, let's get back to the Classic Car Show and Tom and Richard. Oh, I've got one question for you guys. 
Did I had one? Did either one of you all have a forty-five record player in your car? <laughs> no, not me. That was usually what uh, I know. Chrysler's had a lot of those, but I never had one. No. Yeah, Chrysler had an highway hi-fi. Highway hi-fi. I had an eight-track and then a cassette. I had an eight-track tape player too, and, and like, did you have like you know little pieces of paper and stuff that you would shove in next to the cartridge to make sure it played properly and didn't warble and all of that? I mean, <laughs> I always had little pieces of paper in the car to yeah. you know shove in around my eight-track. Yeah, like a matchbook cover or something like that. That's what you had to shove it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then you had an equalizer, and you had a power booster, and you had you know extra speakers that you tore through the upholstery that you regret now that you didn't do. But uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, I, my first uh, foray into that, I had a Craig Power Play um, eight-track um, AM FM stereo. Optional power booster and all that jazz, but I was, I was rocking it. That's for sure. The, uh, but talking about you, the, you uh, mentioned, yeah, you 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 you're talking before about uh, you know buying cars, and here's something I've done with great success many times. Uh, you're looking for a certain car, but you don't see one for sale. Well, you know, you got to be proactive. And what I've done in the past is I've taken out uh, wanted ads. Uh, at the time, I took wanted ads out in Hemmings Motor And uh, I did that many times. And every time I did that, I found the car that I was looking for. That's how I bought my Sunbeam Tiger. That's how I bought my Volvo 142. That's how I bought my TR3. I mean, that, that's how I got my uh, Saab 96 with the V4. I put wanted ads in, and what's happening is, you know, people sitting at home, they, let's face it, a lot of car guys are cheap. They don't want to spend $25 to advertise their car for sale. And uh, <laughs> they just have it sitting in the barn. They have it sitting in the garage, you know. And they say, oh, look at that. This guy wants to buy this car. I have it. Let me call him up. And that's what happens. And uh, that's a great way to get the car of your dream is to put a want ad in whatever publication it is, even in the club publication, if, if you're looking for a Barracuda, you're joining, you know, the Walter P. Chrysler Club or the Barracuda or, or the Plymouth Owners Club, and you put a one ad in. You know, it, it, it's worth it to spend $20, $30, whatever it costs, and uh, more than likely you'll find that car that you're looking for. Uh, it's, a, it's a great great suggestion, and, and that's really true. I mean, you know, sometimes people are you know, a little reluctant to sell, but, uh, you know, all of us want our cars to go to a good home. So if you've got a car and it's sitting in the garage and you're not really using it, but you can't really bring yourself to advertise it and take pictures of it because it's just too attached to it, you know. All of a sudden, you know, an easy opportunity. I know I've done that before. Uh, most of the cars I've sold have been ones that people found out I had and, uh, you know, approach me on it and said, you know, gosh, I'd really love to have that. And I, I just sort of look at it and if it's something that I'm not going to get to right away and it's, it's not on the short list, you know what? I'll send it along. And I think you're right about that. You, people read, read the article, read the ad rather, 
and uh, say, you know what, eh, it's time it, time it went. I'm going to call this guy. You're absolutely right. Another cool thing that happens every once in a while is, uh, you know, people will keep old copies of whether it's uh, Hemmings or Auto Trader or whatever it might be, you know, laying around and pick one up even a couple years later and be thumbing through and see a car for sale. I've heard of guys calling up on cars that were advertised for sale 10 years previously. They call the owner. The owner's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I still have the car, you know, and they right. end up buying the car <laughs> off of a 10-year-old ad, you know. Um, yeah, I've heard that many times. It's so true. But but how many times do you, you know, you look back at an old road and track from the early 60s and you go, wow. This guy was selling a Mercedes 300 SL going for $5,000. I'm going to call him up and tell him what an idiot he is, you know? How many times do you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, or, or, or like me when I uh, sold my 57 Chrysler New Yorker two-door hardtop uh, with the 392 for uh, 275 bucks and thought I was doing well, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's those crazy. days are over, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, you if if you want certain cars, you got to be assertive. You got to be proactive. You have to go after them. You, you can't sit back and wait for one to pop up for sale, you know. And well, auctions are a great place, but you know, you, you're competing against other people who want the car too. So, uh, you know, you, the car corral at Hershey or the car corral at, at Auto Fair or Carlisle, you know, uh, the paid swap meet in Texas. There, there's there's lots of good venues and. Turkey Runner in Daytona Beach, Florida. They all have big car corrals with hundreds of cars for sale. So you got to get out there and 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 you know, uh, put your pound the pavement, as they say, and uh, you know, look for that dream car. They're out there waiting for you. But sometimes you got to go after it to find it. The best deals I've ever received on vehicles were. You know, like for instance, you, if there's an auction and it's mostly a muscle car sale, you know, um, amongst all these muscle cars, you'll you'll find a, something like a '48 Nash Ambassador. You know, it just doesn't fit with the buying audience. And uh, and I've gotten some and go for cheap. deals and some great cars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I dislike most about the auctions. Um, is the fact that, you know, oftentimes, you know, you end up with uh, people who are, you know, not perhaps uh, well familiar with the hobby at times. Some people are very studied, but that, you know, when it comes to the classics and it comes to, you know, the Duesenbergs and all of those, I mean, you know, everybody has all of that down. I mean, there are guys out there that, you know, know every number Duesenberg that's still in existence. They know how many times it's been rebodied. They know who owned it and so forth. They have encyclopedic knowledge of these cars. But for just, you know, the average person going out and, and buying a car, you know, if you, I'm just saying, if you're watching what you see on TV, don't let it discourage you from getting involved in the hobby because that's not really representative of, of the overall market. You know, people get excited about the fact that, you know, uh, Nash Metropolitan Convertible could go for, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. But the truth of the matter is most of them change hands for a fraction of that, you know. It's, yeah, there's a Nash Metropolitan Convertible near me for sale on Craigslist in, in Maryville, Tennessee. 
$6,000 and running and not much rust. So you can't go by what the auctions, you know, are selling cars for. You're absolutely correct. No, don't be discouraged, you know. Uh, people always talk about the fact that, you know, gosh, all these antique cars, it's like so expensive. It's a, expensive. It's a, a rich man's hobby. And that's not true. You know, there are so many entry-level cars out there. And, um, you know, even back going into the 50s, you get some of those early 50, early 50s Plymouths uh, and Dodges. You know, they're mm-hmm. fun. They're an entry-level car. They're easy to work on. Flathead 6, you got all kinds of parts that you know that you can get and uh you know for a few thousand bucks you can be out on the road and enjoying your cars um you know and then there's you know what's a great stuff yeah i was just gonna say later mall i mean if you go mid 60s to early 70s cadillacs i mean you're getting a lot of car for your money and they're very affordable you can find so many of them for under ten thousand dollars and let's face it, I mean, you could pack that caddy with, you know, six of your friends, cruise over to Hershey, and you got a trunk big enough to carry back home a transmission, a cylinder heads, or a couple of bodies. <laughs> you know, you get a deer along the way, you throw it in the trunk. I mean, it's, it's like so much you could do with a big Cadillac, and it's so affordable. They really are, and they look great, of course, you know. Gentlemen, we have to wrap it well, up. Oh, they do look great, and, and the uh, drivetrains in those are, are really bulletproof, too. Um, they are easy to get parts for and uh, a lot of power. I'm, I've got several caddies. Uh, I've got a gentleman where coupe. Uh, and gentlemen, a we're going to have to Deville convertible. We're going to have to wrap um, it up. And great road cars. We're going to have to wrap it up, gentlemen. Wow. Okay. Well, n- next week we're uh, hoping to uh, give you some tips and tricks on how to get the most out of your car that you're getting ready to sell and uh, we're looking forward to it and we want you to tune in next week when we're going to hear richard say we're going to say how to get out of a speeding ticket yeah baby (laughs) there's lots of things you can say to a cop okay well (laughs) well i'm sure a lot of hearts stopped for that and uh, we'll get them going again next week tom richard thank you for a great show and we'll talk to you next week You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.